following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. And a less than perfect one. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. My name is Matt Perez. And my name is Satchel Drakes. And this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. Hey, Matt. Hey, Satchel. How's it going, man? You playing anything lately? Yeah, have you heard of Game Dev Tycoon? I have. I've seen screenshots for it. Yeah. Well, it goes through, like, it's pretty cool. It's like, do research and develop new engines and put time into the games and get better. And you have to look at review and sales numbers and whatnot. And, so uh, it's like developing a game. Yeah. It's like the story of being a game dev. Yeah. That's kind of a good cool. title, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. But it's like, I, I, I looked at the reviews and stuff, and it's always funny to see how people look at it and like a lot of people are like oh i put 100 hours into it it's great and other ones like, typical yeah and they're an amazing game another one would be like it's really good but it's a little overpriced and it's actually like 10 bucks and it's like wow that's overpriced okay the infamous user expectations yeah, yeah. and we've recently been talking a lot about like what we don't un- do understand about games and you know from critical aspect but kind of wanted to know more about you know the nitty-gritty of game development and like what are some misconceptions and things we're overlooking so that makes perfect sense and i think that everybody listening is going to appreciate where we go with that we decided to uh turn the mic over to tommy refinis um part of team meet ceo of team meet uh Easily one of the most like proclaimed like game developers. I mean, not only because of an excellent game, but because of a compelling story uh, for per- for people both inside and outside of sort of like the gaming scene, the game development scene. Uh, so let's dive straight into this interview where we had an amazing extensive conversation touching on game development perceptions um sacrificing everything to put something together and just the world of sort of like game development that we've grown up uh looking at and and grown to expect different things from and we'll be right back after this quick break Thank you to Amica Insurance, Veridesk, and Rocket Mortgage for their support of our show, Overworld. More about those companies later in the show. And now we're joined by Tommy Refinis. He's the owner of Team Meat, who developed Super Meat Boy. Uh, thanks for joining us, Tommy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So just off the bat, uh, you were featured in a documentary on game design called Indie Game the Movie. Do you think uh, like documentaries, documentaries like that are useful for others to see just like how the sausage is made in, uh, in gaming? I Yeah, I think so. Um... Uh, a, a lot of the criticism uh, when it came to the movie was it didn't show enough. Uh, but my my counter argument is that is like it showed it showed the important parts. The the enough part would have been really really boring because most of the time you just sit there and you just work and work and work and then you do deadlines and then you work and work and work and then that's that's kind of kind of it. So I think I think it did a, a really good job of kind of seeing everything you know behind the scenes for a, a, a small kind of intimate project you know what what these individuals go through to actually make this stuff i i know my story is similar to what other people go through with you know varying levels of, of success afterward but you know I, I think it's a really accurate portrayal i mean i 
I wish I could say I was acting that stressed out, but I actually was that stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. That's fair. Uh, with yeah. regards to having a past project documented, did you find anything valuable about having a bit of a time capsule for the process of putting something so intensive together, like maybe for future projects, whatever you might be working on right now? <laughs> I think um, I think it'll be neat one day when I have a kid or a couple kids <laughs> or they have kids like to have them come over and say, yeah, this is, this is your dad. Like, you know, 10 years before you were born or this is your grandpa, like 50 years before you were born. <laughs> I, uh, from, from like a development standpoint, um, I don't see there's like, it, there's really nothing there that I, I actually don't watch the movie cause you know, I, I, I lived it. So, I mean, I've seen the movie like a couple times, but uh, I don't – there's nothing like archival that I'm like, oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'll improve on that or anything. But like as That's far fair. as this amazing time capsule sort of thing where you know, I can, I can go back and, and revisit this kind of turning point in my life, I, I feel uh, ridiculously fortunate to be a part of that because like a lot of times this – you know, major events in your life, you know – it would it would be amazing to go back and it's like the best family home video possible and it's, it's <laughs> well like, cut by people who know exactly what they're yeah. doing yeah. yeah like this is this is like exactly what like Spielberg's kids uh like kids movies look like like <laughs> yeah. amazing like, color correction <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it just looks amazing like all of it like there's CG like yeah he just puts it all in there. Mm. <laughs> George Lucas goes back and just takes the clown from the party totally out. <laughs> he didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like it for me, it was really cool to see a, like a lot of things that I kind of overlooked. Like I know when the game was released there, there's that scene where uh, you're in front of your Xbox and you're like, where is it from on the market? You know? And like, yeah, that's not something yeah. that popped in my head. And now like I realize like how important that like making sure your launch is successful to the like, you know, the health of your game. Like that's something I overlooked. Yeah. What was like the motive? Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. Oh no, go, 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 go right ahead. Just like in general, like what was like the motivation to like create or like be a part of it? Like, do you mean like to, to be like to create it on Xbox or just create the game? In oh no. To, to like be a part of the documentary, like to, to show that, oh, kind of, like those, even those scenes where I think that's like yeah. useful yeah. for yeah. me I'm to like know. to know how they earned your trust. Like how okay. effectively two strangers, yeah. So that's 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 a really really good question because it's 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 amazing there 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 are so many shots in the movie that I don't remember them doing Uh, because uh, uh, Jamie and Lee San are so insanely good at their jobs they they blended in like they they completely blended in it was like they were not even there when they were filming Um, there's a there's a really gross shot of my feet. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Lisanne was there. I think that was, I think that was like a day, maybe, maybe a couple days before launch. And Lisanne was there. I don't remember her pointing the camera at my feet in my kitchen. I mean, to kind of echo you, this might sound strange as well, but it, it felt <laughs> like in many ways, 
it could be just named like Starving Artist the movie in a kind of way. I mean, be, because of the way that she kind of hones in on humanity, right? Like people at the end yeah. of themselves. And uh-huh. there's something about that that democratizes empathy where you don't necessarily have to care about video games. I have a, a ton of filmmaker friends who like they don't necessarily play games, but they really enjoy the documentary because of yeah. that angle. I mean, there's there's like scenes in the you know, like where we're around. I think my family were like outside eating or something like that. Like they quickly filmed that and then they sat down with us and ate. So it's like they were just they were just <laughs> sort of there. They were like an integral part of the launch and the whole experience of it. And yeah, like they, I I I love them both. Like they, I I consider them family. And yeah, it's just it's crazy. Like uh, they actually have a kid, by the way. And this is funny because this is going back to the other thing. They have a kid and they've shown me little videos of it and they are cut perfectly. <laughs> and I, I just remembered that. I sent them – I sent them uh, – they, ha- they have a little little boy and I sent him like a, like a gift package. And they sent me a video of him getting the gift package and it's like cut from him getting it from the door. Oh, and then it's like cut man. to this. And then like, <laughs> he cuts and he opens it and he talks about it and it's like, oh, yeah, it's – I'm like, wow, this is cut perfectly. Of course it is. There's like so. a really nice orchestral music over top of it. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 climax. And he's like, oh, a Ninja Turtle. And then like, yeah, John Williams came in. And <laughs> <laughs> well, you said like um, uh, one of the criticisms of it was that it didn't show, I guess, like the nitty gritty. Did you see the um, the Double Fine documentary? I did. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I watched... All of, I think there were so many episodes. I think I watched. Yeah, I watched a good amount of the episodes, and I actually really liked the way that one was done too. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was kind of cool to see you know Tim Schafer and this big giant team you know doing all this stuff. It was it was a different type of of documentary, but it was you know it it, it shed you know it's it's easy with video games, and it's it's re- it's easy and unfortunate to sort of discount the people that work on them. Um, Mm-hmm. And yeah, when you get to see this stuff, you you know you're you're hit back with like, oh, these are people; they have lives, they have feelings, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. And we we, I I think we're getting away from that a little bit with the anonymity of the internet. And uh, yeah, it's good to it's good to see this kind of stuff to sort of remind us that hey, guess what? We're all human. We all have problems. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. What was interesting with that? I think I mentioned it before, but it was like you saw what was happening in the news for broken age and then you watch a documentary and it's like totally divergent like tones and it's like, Oh, yeah. like they had to delay it because of this reason that they showed yes. pre and pre open yeah. about it. And, it. and I think it, I mean, maybe you can um, attest to it, but I felt like a lot of designers were coming out of the woodwork of like, yeah, this usually happens. Like, yeah. companies that aren't as open, aren't showing that things get delayed. And th- there are a lot of compromises from the original vision. Does that <laughs> yeah. ring true with you? Yeah. Yeah, like there, there is like um, there's there's so much that can happen in the course of just like developing a game that can just totally like staff changes. You know, there's there's money changes, there's life changes. Like uh, Forever started in 2014, and then life happened, and then we weren't able to get back to it until 2017. Like it's you know, it's not as the the and it's it's unfortunate, but the internet has a tendency to think. Like it's it, like everything that happens is like a personal slight to them. Like, oh, it's delayed again. It's mm. like, what do you want? Like, <laughs> you, you just you just want this out now as is because I'm pretty sure you're not gonna like it. You know, like it's yeah. 
that's totally fair. That makes me think about um, what when Dream Daddy came out, it was delayed by like 20 hours and it was such a problematic <laughs> thing. <laughs> like they knew yeah. when it would be out and yeah. everyone knew when, but it was like a problem. Yeah, like yeah, it's a, like, yeah, it's a huge problem. 20 hours. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to, to widen the scope a little bit, um, sort of outside of the documentary and just into the world of like independent game making, um, a little bit of preface. I, I follow this art director named Jane Ng on Twitter. Uh, she mm-hmm. works with Campo Santo, which for the people in podcast land is a group of folks who released an independent title called Firewatch. Um, recently she started a popular conversation around what people categorize as, um, like what makes a, an independent effort? Like what, what truly makes a game independent? What makes a team independent? Um, games are naturally following the trends of films and music where, uh, an independent film made by Indian Paintbrush, for example, is really just Paramount Pictures or Band mm-hmm. Under Fueled by Ramen is really just Warner Brothers Music. And there are yeah. all these different parameters that go into determining like when an independent team is in. So I'm curious to know what you feel categorizes as an independent effort and uh, what do you feel about the Cinderella story around sort of quitting everything in order to make this one pure thing? Okay. <laughs> That's so, a compound question. I totally yeah, get yeah. it. It's, it's a good compound question though. So first off, I think – and. I, I really don't like I don't like the 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 separation in games of independent versus AAA. I I see them both as marketing terms because there can be an independent game that is, you know, quote unquote independent that's funded by people but it's made by a you know a a company with a singular vision and it could be terrible or it could be a AAA game made by a small like small section of like a large publisher like Ubisoft that puts out something amazing. So I don't the I don't know where the definition is. I don't know I don't know what makes an independent effort versus something else. Like I, I feel like there's there's extremes to it, right? Like you could yeah. go, oh well the dude in his basement, that's an independent developer and Rockstar is AAA. Like that's not independent. You know, where at the same time like Bethesda is technically independent. Like they're well, they're owned by Zenimax now, aren't they? I don't know who they're owned mm. by, but Rockstar like company, yeah, yeah. Mean? Like they, they're nobody. Nobody is telling Rockstar what to do. Rockstar is basically doing exactly what it's what it needs to do. And in that way, it's it's just as independent as two dudes making Super Meat Boy. Nobody told us to make Super Meat Boy. We made Super Meat Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I don't I don't know what constitutes that. It's it's a weird it's a weird division that I just wish we didn't have. I you know, I there there was a, there was a line in the in the indie game the movie which it was it really kind of sucked because it was like the first time I was on the screen and I said something about like Halo and said that I don't make shit games. And like that was, that was <laughs> it popped up in my head. I wasn't going to say yeah. anything. <laughs> and and like I hate that because it's taken so out of context. It it paints me as this person's like I only play independent games like <laughs> in in that voice and that's how I talk in that voice all the time. It's like yeah, no, no thank you. And the truth of the matter is like I don't really play much of anything. Like the, and when I do play stuff, it's like the bigger 
things, but I never look and go, oh, I'm going to play that because it's a AAA game, or oh, I'm going to play that because it's an indie game. Like if somebody's like, hey, you got to play, you got to play Spelunky. I don't, I don't go, okay, well, who's it? Like, is it an independent game or is it a AAA game? Like, I, I usually go, oh, is it good? Because if it's good and if it's worth my time, I'll definitely play it. Like I don't, totally, fair. I don't care. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, I don't know what the. I don't know. I don't know what the definition is. I don't know. Like, I don't know how to define an independent effort because there, I don't think there is a good definition for it because there's, there's so many factors that come in everything. Like I even feel like, I think Cuphead, I know Cuphead was made by small studio, but I am pretty sure that Microsoft dumped a load of money on them for marketing. (laughs) I like, and at what point do you go, oh, well, that's not independent right. anymore because – The T-shirts are in they... Urban Outfitters, so <laughs> – Yeah. They, they had like a launch party and they had like cake pops. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like there's no way this is an independent – like if, if you were if like, oh, like I don't think they did. Like they didn't – I know they there's like a story where they like mortgaged their house uh, to yeah. get the game done. And, like, that was definitely the right move for them, by the way. But I don't know how big their house was uh, to afford that kind of marketing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, like, it's – and, and you know, uh, Cuphead is up for Independent Game Award. Like, I don't know – like, I feel like the line is, is, is gone. Like, it was much more prevalent 10 years ago when there was a – when publishers wouldn't even touch uh, uh, an independent title. And now – now they just don't care. Like they're like, oh, okay, well these make money. We can probably throw some money at this place, uh, get thirty percent of their game, you know, and you know, move on to the next thing. So it's yeah, yeah it's and I don't remember the second part of the question. The second part. And we'll be right back after a quick break. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Amica Insurance. We're living in the age of the discerning shopper, when savvy consumers increasingly favor brands and value authenticity, ethics, and a great shopping experience. Amica is committed to being a company people trust. Visit amica.com slash Forbes to find out why 95% of Amica customers with combined auto and home policies stay with them. One more time, that's meetamica.com slash Forbes to find out more about Amica. Insurance. Matt? And with a new year upon us, lots of us are at least thinking about ways in which we can be happier and healthier. Maybe we'll take in some yoga, cook up better dinners, or perhaps try a standing desk, like Veradesk. Veradesk turns your desk into a standing desk, so you're more active than sitting all day. Standing more and sitting less can lead to more energy, less back pain, and more productivity. Check out Veradesk risk-free for 30 days with free shipping both ways. See it for yourself at veradesk.com. That's V-A-R-I-desk.com. How do you feel about the Cinderella story around quitting everything in order to make one pure thing? And I just have to imagine, I don't even know, like how people slide into your dms but i have to imagine somebody (laughs) watched this documentary and was like thank you so much i left my wife and my job and i'm doing this thing and i was so inspired and i'm just like bruh like (laughs) yeah no honestly that happens a lot um i have i have a tumblr that is not very popular but i i have it open so people can ask me questions and i get I get little questions like that all the time. I get them in my email. I do get the people slide into my DMs and, you know, <laughs> and 
I always encourage people because and and that that is that is actually a big fault of the movie because you know um we we did very very well like meat boy did extremely well fez did uh pretty well i don't think it did as well as meat boy and braid did extremely well but like all these games are considered huge successes and um th- th- that was that was in a way that was a luck on the on the uh, uh the documentary people's side because they had no idea they started filming it was six or eight maybe eight nine months before we even came out so there was no like there was buzz around the game but there was no indication that it was going to go on and you know sell a million copies in its first year there was nothing there like that so yeah yeah, so when when people see that they think okay the reason they made it is because they sacrificed everything. And, you know, I, I think I say in the movie, you know, nothing, something like uh, the, you sacrifice things. I don't remember what I was in a Waffle House. I said something about sacrificing a life to have a better life or something like that. And yeah. that that is only a very, very small part of what it takes to be a success in independent games, especially now. Like back in 2010, you didn't really need like a marketing budget. You didn't really need this kind of, you didn't really need to treat making an independent game like a business to guarantee, like not guarantee, but to have a high chance of success. But now there's so much stuff coming out. The market is so insanely saturated that if you don't have that kind of plan of, okay, this is how we're going to launch it. This is how we're going to market it. This is, you know, this is what we're going to do in Q1 and Q2. If you don't have that, your chances of success go – it's like turning a knob like all the way to the left. You turn it so far down because you're, there's, there's so much more to consider now. And yeah. I, whenever somebody's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to – I want to quit my job and do this, I always say don't. Absolutely do not do that. <laughs> Make sure – like if you have a game and if, if you're passionate about it, you should be able to work on it. Like don't don't sacrifice your life to work on this game because chances are it is going to be the worst mistake of your life. Like cupheads <laughs> don't happen all the time. Like people right. mortgage their houses a lot and they lose them. Like that happens more often than people losing their house and then selling two million copies in three months. Like <laughs> you know, that's that's Cuphead is an exceptional game and it's not an exceptional game because they mortgage their house and it's an exceptional <laughs> game because they knew what they were doing. Like they they had experience. They had they had skill. They had talent. They had backing. They had all of these factors that helped them become successful. It wasn't. It wasn't the. It's not as glamorous as you know. What I'm just gonna I'm gonna Rocky Balboa this. <laughs> like that that doesn't that exists in sometimes. But what <laughs> what exists more is people quit everything uh they they fail and then they have to like claw their way back up to a life and like there's there's ways to make an independent game without you know putting yourself and your family in financial danger Mm -hmm. going off that like what actually do you think is like the biggest misconception about game design or game industry both like bigger and smaller and like (laughs) also how i guess we talk about games like fans media or even game designers hmm. let's see like misconceptions so uh, not <laughs> well uh, 
coming answering this as a programmer, um, not everybody uses Unity, and uh, networking code is not as easy as everyone thinks it is. Like, oh, there's lag on the server. Like, that's okay. You know, that's that's a that's a pretty complicated problem. It's like, yeah, no, they they. Yeah, they should just do this better. It's like, great. Yeah, you should do a lot of stuff <laughs> I remember when um, we announced Meat Boy for the Wii, and the Wii had a 40 megabyte file limit, which if you think about 40 megabytes now, it is absolutely ridiculous. 40 megabytes in, I think it was 2010 or 9 or 10, when we were like, we can't do this anymore. 40 megabytes was nothing. <laughs> it's absolutely nothing. <laughs> And I remember when we came out, and we're like, "Hey, we're not going to do this on the Wii. We can't. It's the game. Like the game is already small, and the game is 120 megs. And like yeah. the simplest, we'll just compress it. It's like, what? Come on! Like if I could just <laughs> compress it, what? what? Like I, I, I made the like, entire game, but I don't. I'm not like, oh shit! Right click, like add to archive, like, link, link to WinRAR, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man, this this guy in the comments just saved me. Oh my god! And then like, then the other one was make it episodic. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize there's a button that I can press on the compiler that's like split game up into third, makes it perfectly playable. I didn't I didn't know that was there. Yeah, like you know, that's that a lot of people, and you know, it's 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 easy to say a lot of people. It's actually not a lot of people. It is a small vocal <laughs> minority yeah. uh, that that come out and just armchair design and armchair program. Like there's a this is actually something I got into a little bit on Twitter just the other day because um, I, I watch speedruns a lot and uh, AGDQ is going on the whole right, big right yeah marathon. and I absolutely love it. Uh, but the thing that bothers me the most is when a speedrunner is playing the game. And they go, well, this is poorly programmed. And I'm just sitting there going, (sighs) okay, dude, like, number one, you're jumping backwards through a wall at 60 60 hertz trying to talk to an NPC so you can fall through the world. (laughs) (laughs) That's not – that's not – Poor programming. Like you're 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 breaking it. It would be like me going to uh like going up to my car with a sledgehammer and breaking the window and go, Wow, this window is poorly constructed. <laughs> like it's it's not fair. It's not a fair comparison. And I said something along the lines of, you know, I would love to play a game by uh by a speedrunner that's, you know, saying this is poorly programmed since they're such experts. And um uh, you know, a lot of people agreed. Uh, well it was Game developers agreed with me, and other people did not. And the th- whole thing was, you know, Expected, it's yeah. Sorry. I think it's fair to have criticism. And I'm like, well, that's not criticism. Like, you know, right. critiquing something is analyzing and breaking it down. And, and you know, like right. that's just reporting what people are doing yeah. wrong. You're <laughs> reporting. Just, that's just bitching, is yeah. what it is. There's a difference. <laughs> and bitching is fine. People can totally bitch. It is totally. That is an acceptable reaction to, you know, like if, if you're playing like a PUBG game and it's laggy, you can bitch. Like you're absolutely <laughs> allowed to bitch. But don't say, oh, they were just sloppy in what they did unless you're sitting there looking at the source code. Games appear as these magical things on your TV and they just keep getting more graphically intense, more physics, more everything. And to most people, 
it's a it's a it's a veil and you don't you you figure like the magic that's presented to you you figure it's magic behind the scenes too i think i think that's that's one of the big the big misconceptions of just like not everybody knows what goes into making a game but everybody has an opinion on how to make the game better Going off a little bit of, uh, you were talking a little bit about just like marketing and like marketing strategy, like online. Um, it made me kind of think of a bit of a left field question around the culture around marketing dialogue in the games industry in particular. And for this, I'm mm-hmm. kind of curious to know um, stuff related to things that you've personally built and then also just things that you observe around the world since it is sort of like your world. Um when I look at other industries and the way that they market things, there's something that's very final and a little bit like you're you're going to get what you're going to get. Like if I try to graft the kind of dialogue around marketing games onto music, I'm imagining like, I don't know, I really like the deer hunter, like them tweeting out like, hey, here's this really cool guitar lick that like we thought of today, like get stoked yeah. on it or like, hey, we like recorded this song like here it is like do you guys like it? Is there something we should change about it? You know what I mean? Like there's kind of like this, it almost sometimes feels like there's, uh, this expectation or this, this entitlement from the gaming community in general to have a say in sort of the ultimate product of things. And like, it's almost like companies are doing it right when they're, when they're constantly in this state of dialogue rather than presenting something that they really believe in. Um, it, maybe you agree, maybe you sort of disagree. I'm curious to know if you've ever had any thoughts on that or just just the idea of everything yeah. constantly being exposed every step of the way. Yeah, so I, I think that depends on on I think that depends on the the type of game you're making and the type of person you are when you're making a game. Um, for me and pretty much anything team meet moving on, and even even to Super Meat Boy, uh, there were no like beta testers. There was no Steam green light. Um, that was that was uh, m- me and Ed working together for eighteen months. Like and and his wife uh, Danielle playing the game, and like my dad playing the game. Me being the type of designer uh, that I am, I would I don't really want somebody who who hasn't who hasn't done it every step of the way, like telling me what they think is, is wrong or different about it. Like I have, I have a team working on super meat boy forever. And when they tell me something, I trust them because they are, Mm. they're integral to the development of the game. Like if, if somebody at a, at a show or something says, Oh, this doesn't feel good. I can understand that. Like I can take and I can process that. But if they're like, Hey, you should really make it so it can do this. Like that's not a valuable feedback for me. Like it would be weird, okay? It would be super weird if Rockstar was like, "Hey guys, here's here's the first ten minutes of Red Dead Redemption Two. Let me know what you think." And then, and then they legitimately <laughs> changed stuff after that. Like, right? You know, they they've been at the helm making Red Dead Redemptions and Grand Theft Autos for years now. Like, I trust them more than I trust uh, forums. You know, yeah. like some forums can have some some good ideas and everything, but. You know, I the design by committee stuff, it works. It works great sometimes. Um, like, and as far as marketing goes, marketing is really weird because there, there's definitely, there's like two types of marketing now. There is the overly positive, like, compliments. You know, everybody have a good day. Blah blah blah. There's that one, and then there's <laughs> snarky Wendy's Twitter, right? Like, there's the two. <laughs> 
there's like two different types and you know it fits the part like devolver coming out and saying good morning everybody have a nice day like that doesn't make any sense but devolver coming out and saying oh we're canceling all of our blockchain games like that's funny (laughs) and that's how they interact like that's that's kind of you know i i err on the side of snark Whereas, you know, somebody like the Dream Daddy, they actually did a talk at IGS, um, not IGS, um, uh, Full Indie Summit in Vancouver, I think it was in November, um, where they talked exactly about how they engage their audience and stuff. And they they talked about the wholesome approach, which was the right. not Wendy's Twitter approach, which was like, hey, here's a dad joke. Ha ha ha. You know, like right. And that and that worked perfectly for them their takeaway from it was like this this is where things are going and like that was the only thing i disagreed with because i'm like no that's the way things are going for you it's a weird time everybody's connected everybody can hear what everybody else is saying 24 hours a day Mm. and you have to cut through somehow and like it's either it seems to either be snark or uh positivity one of the two because if you're in the middle like you're just you're just advertising like Mazda threes or something. You're like, here, buy a Mazda three, and everybody's like, cool. But like, if they push the Mazda three off a cliff, you know, and and into a Wendy's, like, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of right there. <laughs> um, just to jump around just a little bit, I was curious to get your opinion on um, uh, gaming budgets versus like price for games. Um, it's been like sixty dollars for bigger titles for a while now, and. For smaller titles, yeah. it's around like ten, fifteen, twenty, and people think twenty might be overpriced. Like, how do you feel about like that not changing for a while, and also the more the uh, the new strategies of like increasing revenue, which would be like loot boxes and stuff like that? Yeah, like so, games have been fifty nine ninety nine. Like you said, they've been fifty nine ninety nine forever. Like pretty much, I mean, pretty much since. Nintendo days it's been well maybe Nintendo's were like 39 but like Super Nintendo PlayStation 1 uh Nintendo 64 those were all $60 games and that has not changed you know in 25 30 years yeah um I I don't like so so as far as like spending 60 bucks on a game I I'm fine with it uh because it's it's just what it's always been I think people should pay more for games because production costs have gone up and you know that's that's just how things are but we also live in a society and a world where the idea of like if you had two identical games this is something i've run into with super meat boy forever because forever um it's going to be on consoles and it can also be on mobile uh, because it's just two buttons and it works perfectly on mobile. Like Ooh, I have it on and the fragmentation of user expectation yes. around pricing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, the game could come out on steam. I don't know how much it's going to be, but let's just say it's the same price as meat boy is now because it's, it's a, it's this, it's actually a bigger game than meat boy, but let's say it's 15 bucks on steam and on consoles and everything. I would be an insane person to put it for $15 on a phone, even though it's the same game. Like there's just a perception of it. And like, unfortunately we can't get past that perception. We can't just go, Oh, like you can't, you can't reason with this thing that's ingrained in everybody's mind. Like the, the, the argument is like people won't pay $4 for a game, but they'll pay $4 for a coffee. Like you might as well just throw that at the wall, like at a brick wall, because it's not going to sink in because it doesn't, 
it's not viewed in that way. And yeah, like indie game prices have been steadily climbing. And I, I like I think the witness was like forty bought forty dollars or something yes, like correct, that. Yeah. And it was totally worth forty dollars. Like absolutely it was worth forty dollars, but a lot of people had a problem with it. And it's it's like you would have spent sixty, maybe seventy dollars on mist uh twenty five years ago. Like <laughs> Right. <laughs> no it's yeah, I like and 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 when the loot boxes and stuff come out, I I, I think loot boxes are kind of. I, I actually have never played a game that has loot boxes in it. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> and it's, it's not like it's not like on purpose. Like oh, I'm going to avoid it. It's just it just never come across my desk. So yeah, the the idea of a company like EA, even though it seems kind of shitty that they do it, I can understand because they're they're in a they're in a marketplace where they cannot charge more for their game. If they said Call of Duty, I don't even know what they're at now. Call, let's say Call of Duty Iraq War that's going to come out in like five years or whatever. Oh my God. Call, yeah. <laughs> Call of Duty Desert Storm, that's going to be that $75. <laughs> <laughs> like, if they were like, that's going to be $75, uh, the internet and news sites, They'd everybody break, would yeah. have, they would have a fit over that. So... I I don't I mean it's going to sound weird. I I sympathize with them. I mean weird to sympathize with EA, but like just coming from like a business perspective, they can't charge more. They they are and I don't know of another thing that has not changed in price since the 1990s. Like a Coke used to be like 25 cents, now they're a dollar in the machine. Like uh I think uh, when I was in 1996 or seven, when I was when the they did like a body redesign for the Mustang, I remember looking at one at the dealership with my dad, and it was like eighteen thousand dollars. Like you cannot buy a Kia for eighteen thousand yeah. dollars now. So yeah. I I don't know of any other industry where uh, they're they're frozen in time when it comes to inflation, but the video game industry is there. And I mean, I don't think EA has to make the additional money. Like I don't, I don't think they're hurting, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, the nothing is moving for them, so they have to find other ways to compromise. And like as as consumers, we either need to be okay with higher prices that that at least reflect inflation, because it costs so much more to make Madden 2018 than it did Madden 1992. Mm-hmm. But the game is exactly the same price. Like it costs so much more. So we either need to be cool with loot boxes and these weird kind of tactics that extract money from us without us being aware, um, or we need to be cool with higher prices because, like, yeah, yeah, it it can't be cool with no loot boxes and everything stays the same. Like that's that's just not cool. So and it's it's weird. I I don't even know why indie games. It's not it's not cool for them to be sixty dollars. Like I don't. And like even to my thinking, I can't imagine charging sixty dollars for Meat Boy or Meat Boy Forever. But I don't know why because there are people that you know you can sink forty hours into Meat Boy. Like it's easy. Right. Like like yeah. there's there's games like uh like the little rope like Spelunky. I swear yeah. I've sunk probably a thousand hours in that game. I paid ten dollars for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm. like and why isn't that a sixty dollar game? Like it because it's not priced based on how much it costs to make it anymore because if it was, then the games would be a hundred dollars. So 
it's it's weird. It's 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 strange. I hope I never get to a point where I have to like try to sneak money out of people because like production costs are rising and I'm like, oh, okay. Like uh, here's some loot boxes. Like you have to buy lives. <laughs> you have to buy Meat Boy lives and there's like a chance that you'll get ten Meat Boy lives. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Support for the Forbes Overworld podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask why. Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to their rate and term in real time? And why can't there be a client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Do you think it's going towards, like, kind of a breaking point? Like, because it is, like, it, when when they um, do their, like, quarterly earnings, like, it seems like things like Star Wars Galaxy, I think, is on the phone, and, like, FIFA with Ultimate Team, like, that's making them the the money, and then, you know, Call of Duty or, or for them, Battlefield, like... They it almost like breaks even for them just to make it and earn the money from that. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Um, I, and and this is weird because I I haven't played a Call of Duty in I don't know how long. But like I don't like is so maybe you know this is Rockstar isn't hurting, are they? They they are not hurting at all. Like I, I thought, like Take Two stock went way up because of like earnings just recently from rockstar because they were like oh grand theft auto online is doing so well like yeah i think it's like especially with the sports games too like they yeah that's true yeah like with take two i think they have like enough different properties and yeah definitely with rockstar i i think it is a thing like you said before where with them they leave them alone because they're going to make it back but i also think like Grand Theft Auto Online has probably really helped them uh, to be able to take as much time off as they do, whereas like other studios yeah. like don't take that much time off. Yeah, because like, in, what was it? Five was twenty thirteen. It was it? on the three sixty. Yeah, that was a lot. Oh, oh my goodness, that's crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. How crazy is wow. that to think it's been about a that? Minute, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember everyone freaking wow. out when they uh, were uh, doing like the uh, remaster for it for the new consoles. It's like, yeah, like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> why not? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, like those those games. Like, I know, I know, Grand Theft Auto had to cost them well over, probably well over two hundred million dollars to make and then market at, at least two hundred million dollars. A lot of marketing too. Yeah. Yeah, and like, I, well, what was it? Destiny was half a billion dollars to make and market. Oh, like, that's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's so nuts to me. Like, it's it's so insane. And What's crazy about? I mean, like, all the stories around Destiny is that, like, yeah, it costs that much, but then they like scrapped it, right? Like a year out of release, like they had like yeah. start over almost. Yeah, yeah, like that's that's 
that's like the that's realities really, of design, right? Like, of yeah, development. you know, the realities of the development. Yeah, you can spend a whole bunch of money and then go, no, this didn't work. <laughs> so, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I think it, I don't know if it's heading to a breaking point. And like there, there was a, there was an article I was a part of uh, that just, I just went in Edge Magazine and where they were talking about um, like independent games sort of saving everything because they're, they're smaller they're more versatile. They can hit certain niches and they're not expensive. And like part of me is like, yeah, maybe that could, you know, bring it up. But then the other part of me is like, okay, well, I mean, I look at Meat Boy sales, which are phenomenal, but then like something like Grand Theft Auto or Minecraft, like these giant, giant games. And Minecraft is that like, we shouldn't even talk about Minecraft as a game. Cause that's just like some sort of weird phenomenon. Like that's not even, it's almost like, like creator suite, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, creators, right? It's like Adobe, yes, like Adobe building Adobe. blocks. On, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but back to like the independent game saving everything. Like, it, I don't know. Like, it it could come to a head. You know, it could people could stop buying, you know, these EA games with the loot boxes and stuff. But I think I think the reality is going to be it's not really going to affect. It's going to affect some people, but some people are going to be like, ah, oh, whatever. And they're just going to play the game because they're not looking at the game as like, yeah, like uh, they're just looking at it as entertainment and they don't really care that they're spending money on it. They just care that they're getting entertainment out of it. Yeah. And as long as they're getting entertainment out of it, then it's not, it's not a, Oh, I paid this much. You know, you know, nobody goes to a casino and is like, Oh, like nobody, nobody loses everything at a casino. is like, Oh man, I should, I should pace myself. Like they're, right. they're just having fun, you know? And that's why, why casinos are so huge it's not like everybody knows a casino is a bad idea and you're not right, gonna win right but they still stay in business like you know i own stock in casinos because it's just it's stupid <laughs> it is like I that think is a good point yeah man. like joe the plumber gamer isn't really he doesn't feel like something's being taken away from them but there is like sort of like a vocal group of people that yeah. are kind of gatekeeping the games that they remember and will say something mm. if there's Yeah. Like like there's there's so many more people than what you'll see on like uh, a a Reddit, like a subreddit or something bashing a game. Like I don't I don't know and I, I think it's it's yet to be determined if the whole um was it Battlefield Star Wars Battlefield, if that backlash affected their bottom line at all. Like I right. would not be surprised if they have like record sales or something. Right. There's I a would, bunch of Star Wars fans who are like, it's a video game. I just want to be in the universe longer. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like they, they don't care. Like it's, it's like, you know, whatever. I, you know, half of me looked at metal gear survive and I was like, eh, I might play that. Cause it, it looks fun because I just want to be in the, I want to be in the metal gear world longer. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. even though Kojima is not a part of it, you know, and like that makes me seriously sad because I love those games. But like I'm I'm kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know, maybe if they continue some of the story of Mother Base, maybe I'll pay attention to it. So, yeah, you know. and he's free of it, too. He goes off and makes his own thing, you know. Oh, my yeah. God. I, I I watch those trailers all the time. They're <laughs> messed up. It looks bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's similar <laughs> – um, to kind of well, it made me think of like film industry where you have like Justice League makes six hundred million dollars and it's a disappointment, and then you have yeah. some like Get Out and like Blumhouse putting out these like smaller budget movies and it's like yeah, like Get Out was a huge success and 
it was less risky than making Justice League, you know? Yeah, mm. and then, like, even though Justice League was so, I guess, I haven't seen it, um, but I guess it was, like, so disappointing. Even Batman vs. Superman, which I did see, which was terrible, mm-hmm. it's still made. <laughs> I don't know how much money, but it's still made. I, I know it made more than, like, $500 million, didn't it? It was, it was oh, like, yeah. it was huge. And, like, the if you just went on what people were saying about it, you know, like that, that, that there's like a, a misconception of the internet that it represents like the population as a whole. Right. And it's like actually a small group of people that have the time and willingness to put their opinion out there. And that doesn't rep- because if it did, right. uh, Batman versus Superman would have tanked. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, all yeah. these. And they make it seem like everyone's like losing their jobs, families are broken. Yeah. And like, it's like, okay, like the voice of the people isn't medium. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, there's, you know, like if you know, EA would have went out of business, like all this stuff. And it just, it just simply doesn't exist because like there's, there's more people that watched Batman versus Superman and went, oh, okay. And we're like, that, that was a fun Saturday. And then they, they went on with their lives. Right. Like that's there's there's way more people that did that. So yeah, it's it's weird. Even like Last Jedi, like everybody's like, Oh, it's such a disappointment. Which I, I mean it wasn't my favorite Star Wars movie, but I still had fun. I still enjoyed watching it. I don't know if it was worth the crazy ticket price, but at the same time I'm not sitting here going, Oh, ticket prices are too high. I mean <laughs> it's true. I could I could start talking about how high ticket prices are. <laughs> Now that I'm thinking about it, but at the same time, like that was just something that my wife and I did on uh, on New Year's Eve. We just went and watched Star Wars. It's what we did. It that was our entertainment for the evening, and you know, whatever. <laughs> they're they're going to keep making Star Wars movies, and I'll keep watching them because mm-hmm. it's entertainment. It's just a thing. Mm-hmm. It's not. A, it's not a life. It's it's like a thing in your life. It isn't your life. I just had like one more question. It might be an odd one, but um. <laughs> So we have uh, documentaries on filmmaking. Would do you think there would be like a game about making a game that shows you like that entire oh. process of like? <laughs> does that? I don't know if, if if you've ever heard that before. I'm like that, that might be interesting. I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's see a, a game about making Bad. a game. Yeah. Oh my goodness! I dropped my. Jeez, that's um. <laughs> it's you know. <laughs> I can't even think what that would be like because, like, it'd be like with you <laughs> know with the with the documentary. So you got the documentary, and the documentary is very much like uh, an observation kind of thing. So you're like sitting there watching somebody do it. So I think the closest thing would be <laughs> like if you were watching. Man, oh my god! It's just this just hit me. We're in that we're in that game right now because then this is this is why this is why. Okay, somebody is making their game. They're posting their screenshots to Twitter. They're like, hey, what do you think about this? And then you get on Twitter and you're like, oh, I don't know. You retweet it. You like it. You know, you get that rush if somebody – like if you do a hot take and you're like, hey, it looks kind of like this. And you, you do the quote retweet. Then you get like an endorphin rush because you're like, oh, man, everybody's liking my retweet. That's like a meta game oh in itself. God. Like that's the game of – the game and Twitter is a private company, so Twitter is the indie game of indie. Yes. Game. Twitter's Twitter is indie game, the indie game. <laughs> indie game, the indie game. Yeah, I, I swear this is like this is like that movie adaptation. Like, 
you could like write a Twitter thing about a Twitter thing about a video game about a video game, and then loop, loop, about a video game that's about Twitter. Oh man, we need to get we need to get Charlie Kaufman and Kojima on this immediately. Yeah, yeah and Nicholas Cage. <laughs> I'm so happy that went in that direction. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Tommy, this was uh, an awesome this talk. This was tremendous. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was this was good. Now I'm now I'm going to think more about the game within the game within the movie within the game. Central crisis tonight. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is the end of me. <laughs> All right, man, but thank you so much, really. Um Yeah, thanks for having me. Actually, you know what? Um is there anything you want to um, to um, like just share, share that we should like know that? about? Um, well, let's see. Uh, Meat Boy, first Meat Boy, is coming out on Switch tomorrow, the 11th. Um, and then Super Meat Boy Forever, which is the sequel, will be out sometime this year. Sweet. So, hooray! Cool. All <laughs> awesome. right. Yeah. All right. Take care. All right. Take it All easy. All right, man. Bye. Bye. Coming up, Eric Kane and Paul Tassi discuss why the Destiny 2 community is in full revolt against the game's developer, Bungie. I'm Eric Kane. And I'm Paul Tassi. And today we're going to return to one of our favorite subjects, uh, Destiny 2. Uh, so, just, just, I haven't, I haven't been playing Destiny 2 lately, so what's been going on with the game? Uh, a lot of people being extremely angry about it. <laughs> sounds, it, it basically sounds like Destiny 2, Destiny 2 since launch. <laughs> yeah, um, th- things have kind of been at, at a new level, and uh, the, the current running joke is that uh, Bungie said they were going to be more open and transparent about communication, and that was said about six weeks ago. <laughs> and, and, and nothing? I, I, nope, nothing since. I think we're about to get an update kind of as we speak, but to some capacity, but people are kind of like, okay. <laughs> When yeah. you're promising uh, communication, this is a bit excessive. So, yeah, people are not the most happy with the game right now. And just for context, you know, when when you're listening to this, Bungie will have updated uh, the state of the game because they are going to do an announcement later this week. But uh, just given the turnaround for this podcast, we're we're talking ahead of that announcement. So, um, so what have been, what? Why are people angry now? It's a lot of reasons. I mean, one of the main ones is Eververse, which is the Destiny 2 microtransaction store. And people were kind of wary about it at the start, as there was a lot of stuff in there. And like, even though it's just quote-unquote cosmetic items, it was like, ah, they're, they're putting a lot of loot in this loot-based game <laughs> behind this kind of paywall thing. And you can earn stuff, but it's very slow. Uh, but the problem has become when the first expansion came out, uh, Curse of Osiris, then about half of the new stuff, like if you just add up all the stuff, was in Eververse. And even if it was, you know, less important items, it was still like, okay, you're developing this expansion, which is itself $20, and you have this giant pool of loot that is, you know, th- this paid kind of system in place on top of the DLC. And then things got worse still when they're doing a quote-unquote free event, <laughs> like two weeks later, called The Dawning, which was entirely based on microtransactions, where there were now Christmas-themed or holiday-themed items in the store. So that is one aspect that people are getting really fed up with, um, despite it being cosmetic, to the point where some are calling for it to be removed from the game, period. Some are calling for sweeping changes, and Bungie itself has kind of said that they're doing something with Eververse, but we don't know the specifics of that yet. So uh, uh, to me, this all kind of speaks... like. 
yes, this is all cosmetic stuff, pretty much. Um, but does this kind of prove the point that cosmetic is part of the game? Like, that is part of gameplay? I know Jim Sterling had a, a big rant about how cosmetics are part of gameplay. And I, I thought it was a pretty good argument. Like, cosmetic items, it, it, traditionally, you know, you'd play a game and you'd get these items as part of, you know, in-game awards. And now it's kind of all part of a loot box system in so many games. Like, it, it's, it seems to be bothering people. Or is it specifically I, how this game handles it? Yeah, I, I think it does have a lot to do with how Destiny 2 specifically handles it because... I don't think you can paint all games with the same brush. Like, yes, the Overwatch system, where they have kind of legendary and epic skins in loot boxes, is not perfect. However, the big difference between that game and Destiny 2 is that Overwatch is not a looter. <laughs> so right. loot is not the primary driving force of the game. It's just, it's a competitive PvP game, and the goal is to win. Mm-hmm. And nothing in those boxes is has anything to do with winning. And you earn them at a pretty decent clip just by playing a lot. Um, in Destiny 2, not only does it take a lot longer to earn the stuff for free, like way longer, but when you're introducing an expansion or something where loot is the primary focus and getting all the loot is the goal, when you put half the loot in, in the microtransaction system and take it out of somewhere, like there could have been a quest for some like cool exotic sparrow or something, but instead of that happening, it's just a 1 in 300 chance random drop from a paid engram. And they're and more expensive that, I think, than is, is a distinction. Yeah. I think overall they probably are, just based on what you're getting per engram. It's it's pretty similar, but the earning rate is slow and it's more expensive. The breakdown I saw for like what you get is that Overwatch is about 60% the cost of Destiny 2 per box, basically. But I, I don't know. And then also what you get in the box is like... Well, what what's kind of... About Destiny 2, you, only, you can get like parts of armor skins and you can get shaders that only apply to one piece of uh, equipment at a time and then if you get new equipment you have to get new shaders so it's like in overwatch you get a skin and you just you have the skin but in destiny you get little pieces of everything and they change very quickly so it's like the value there is really just it seems very very minimal compared to other games it is, because stuff comes out of the loot pool when new stuff comes in. And yeah. according to, to Bungie's schedule, it's changing, I think, four times a year. And, like, I played Destiny 2 a ton at launch, and I probably dropped at least, at least initially, like, 60 bucks on loot boxes just to see what I'd get. And I had enough to get, I think, maybe one full armor set for one of my characters. Uh, and I guess if I just dismantled and scrapped everything I got, maybe I could have afforded a couple more pieces, but... At this point, and that was only there for a couple months, and now there's a new set, and then there was a holiday set, and it's it's too much. Like, I give up. It's it's too hard <laughs> to kind of earn this stuff on your own, and it's too expensive to gamble for it, because it's not even like I can pay 20 bucks and get this armor set. I can pay 20 bucks and have, like, a one in five shot of getting one of the armor pieces yeah, that's just for such the a set. Point. So, like, it's not even, it's not even that the game is is selling these things, it's that the value proposition is not also non-existent, so it's a terrible system to begin with. So it's a bad and, system, and it breaks the sort of loot-hunt aspect of the game to begin with. Yeah, it's not quite as bad as, say, I guess Diablo 3, back when that had the auction house, where that yeah. was the best way to get every item, because that was literally selling like powerful weapons and stuff, and at least so far, Eververse is not selling like game-breaking gear or anything like that. But in a game that is all about loot, when you have so much kind of attractive loot, even if it's just cosmetic, only in this system, 
and then the rest of the game feels sparse and like there's not enough stuff <laughs> to find there, that's that's a problem. And but the other issue is that this is only one aspect of what people are are complaining about, and people have kind of been fed up with Destiny 2 for launch. Like people don't like the weapon loadout system. People were disappointed that the story of Curse of Osiris was as terrible as any story in Destiny has been. Pretty bad, wasn't it? <laughs> it's just, it, yeah, it was... And, like, all these quotes are coming back now, like, when, before Destiny 2 came out, and the developer was like, there's going to be so much story, you're going to, like, wish there was, you know, t- less story and, and things <laughs> like that. And it's just it's just goofy. You know, to be fair, I wish there was less of the Curse of Osiris story, because it was just <laughs> terrible. Just no story. Uh, just like, no only... story would have been better. Yeah. <laughs> also, the um, the the uh, patrol area in Curse of Osiris was surprisingly um, tiny and ridiculous. I mean, it was like it would have been cool if it was just part of the patrol area, but it was just unbelievably small. Uh, I, I I just the whole Curse of Osiris. You know, you know the thing is, is that there were things about that expansion I liked. Like for instance, during the campaign part where you go into those big open fields that have like really vivid colors and. It's just, it's kind of a beautiful, beautiful scenery. Almost reminded me of No Man's Sky a little bit. Um, that was really cool. Why wasn't that the, like, part of the patrol area? Yeah. You know? There's, there's one strike set there, but that's kind of the only time you'll ever go in there. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I, I don't know. It's just, it seems like Destiny 2 is just one long series of sort of missed opportunities and bad decisions. But we were saying this about Destiny 1, too. True. And it's like, they learned the, the the other reason people are so frustrated is because they learned so many of these lessons after three years of destiny and they're making not only are they making some of the same mistakes over again they're making new mistakes based on stuff that was like perfectly fine before like the, you know making shaders consumable items now like yeah. things that just didn't need to happen at all and it like i do i do see things starting to you know turn for the better a little bit but again, like I, I'm sure over the next two years, the game will continue to get better and they'll continue to learn. But like we shouldn't have had to start over from effectively square one, which is the most the most frustrating part of this for for players because we just did this whole dance for essentially three years, and then to have to kind of start it all over again and to seemingly have it seem like Bungie has no clue as to why this happened in the first place is is definitely frustrating. One of the weird things for me about the game is how how it just feels like no matter how much you progress, nothing changes. Like, I, it just feels very flat. Like, you, you get, you, you watch your, the sort of the number go up, but you don't really feel like you're becoming more powerful after the very beginning. Like, you pretty, pretty much get all your skills leveled up right away, and then the gear is just not particularly interesting for the most part. And so you're leveling up your guy, and you're getting more powerful, but it doesn't really affect most of gameplay, like most of what you do other than like get you to the right level to, to enter into like a a raid or something. I don't know. It just feels very unsatisfying after a while. Yeah, that's exactly correct. And the the way I noticed that the most was when I I started a PC playthrough. So like I did like four, you know, know, I did three playthroughs on console for all three characters, but then kind of months later um, I did PC and starting my new character, I'm like level five, and I'm running, you know, the same public events I'm I'm running at max level in my other characters. <laughs> and somehow, they're easier. Like, the the activities were scaled down to the point where, like, it was genuinely easier to beat them with my, like, level 5 to 6 character. And, you know, a couple other people around. 
than it is currently on my, you know, totally geared out max level character because of the way things scale in the game. And Destiny's just afraid to kind of give you these big power jumps. Like, Like in Diablo, when you get like a really sweet weapon drop, it can just break the game. Like you will have to turn up the difficulty level because you just get stupidly powerful to the point where it's no fun. Yeah. And it's that but then it's fun because you keep trying to press on to higher and higher difficulties. But like Destiny, you know, the example I can think of is they just introduced masterwork weapons, which are like the super versions of, of normal legendary weapons. But you, you get them and then they the point of a masterwork weapon is that they give you some stat boost and you're like, oh okay, I'm gonna get like a sweet version of this gun I like. And then you, you look at the, the, the stats it gets and it's like five percent range. <laughs> yeah. It's like what five percent range and then it's like okay, okay, what about five percent handling which is like the speed of like switching weapons and like like aiming down sights or something and it's it's just these minor minor buffs because they're afraid of doing something to just unbalance the game and including you know because pvp exists and if you break it too far then the whole mode becomes unviable but yeah i think that's a symptom of what you're describing I, i i've been reading some you know some gamers comments on this and like there was an interesting discussion on world of warcraft and i have not played that in a long time i don't know have you played any world of warcraft recently i have not played one second of world of warcraft ever that is ever. the one game i have oh, wow. stayed completely I away so from because i knew that. i knew i'd get addicted to it so mm-hmm. i i purposely banned myself from ever playing it and now it's probably too late so i don't know about that um but i, I think you could still get addicted to that game <laughs> <laughs> oh good okay good to know um and i can't remember this is this has been a little while now since i was reading this but they were talking about how they handled some of their dungeons and how they would um like if you beat a dungeon then then there would be a sort of the next week or whatever there'd be a random random aspects to this dungeon like uh, enemies would explode into flame when you killed them, or there'd be just these other sort of random, more difficult things, and you'd keep trying to get to the harder and harder versions of the dungeon. So there was a lot of dy- dynamism that they were uh, including in these sort of end game activities that kept it fresh all the time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Destiny does that to a kind of a, kind of a minor extent, where they have you know a rotating nightfall strike every week, which with some modifiers to it. But it's like the modifiers are like. Your abilities recharge slower. <laughs> it's like okay, this is this is not really the kind of exciting dynamism we're talking about here. Where yeah. it'll be like one or two things, one of which might be somewhat interesting, but it, it's done on such a minor scale. And like they introduced heroic strikes with Curse of Osiris, which are kind of harder versions of normal strikes with no modifiers. It's just straight up the enemies are a higher level. You know, the end. Like we put in a, f- a few more like yellow bar mini boss enemies like that's that's it that's the whole thing yeah uh and i think that's that's not what people are looking for either yeah it's i i don't know is okay is this something that that bungie can turn around can they turn around all these problems can they make this game more palatable to the community with their coming expansions with patches like what can they do it what can they do I think so, because we, we saw them do it already once with the Taken King, and the Taken King was kind of everyone's answer to at least, I don't know, at the time, like 80% of what ailed Destiny, and that was just a really interesting expansion full of like secrets and like new gameplay systems that actually like made sense and that were improvements on the old systems, and yes, there is like a really long laundry list of changes you know that Destiny 2 should make, but I mean, they have two or three years to make them. So I think it's going to be kind of a long, slow march to do that. But 
and I wish we hadn't started so far behind, but I do think it's possible. And if they stop basing every single event or expansion around Eververse, that would be a start. Um, <laughs> I, I don't see them pulling a Battlefront and removing it entirely, but that would be kind of the nuclear option if they really wanted some, you know, fan morale. <laughs> Uh, they need to fix like storage space. They can, uh, you know, change values to make you feel more powerful. They can add in more modifiers. I, it's, I mean, there's there's a ton of stuff they can do. It's just uh, the, the space they're at right now. I feel like they're fixing problems that people were complaining about like four months ago, and then when they finally catch up, there's like nine new things wrong with the game. So it's, they're kind of always behind in that regard. But I would say Eververse, and honestly, I think storage space is one of the biggest problems right now because what's the point in, in releasing a new expansion with like a hundred plus pieces of new gear if not like 200 and you don't have anywhere to put them like you're literally just forcing players to mass delete all the stuff they've already collected and I, to me that is a, a principal thing making the game a lot harder to enjoy as, as i always find myself just completely full on everything yeah so i hope i hope they address that sooner rather than later I mean, do you think they'd ever even change something like loadouts or things like sort of core stuff? That that feels I, like it would be such a massive change. I th- I might be too late for the loadout thing. Like, my advice would be to split the heavy weapon category in half so you just at least have a wider range of options. Um, that would also be a pretty big change, but right now there's just too many weapon types crammed into heavy. Whereas there's only a couple shared across primary and secondary, and like you just never use things like like sh- snipers or shotguns because they're always worse than you know rocket launchers or like an exotic grenade launcher or whatever. Yeah. So I think a fourth slot, however you want to be able to switch to that, I don't know what they would do would would go a long way. But I have a hard time believing that they'll do something that drastic. What about the competition? Like uh, we've got Anthem coming out. And, you know, there's murmuring that that's going to be the big, you know, attempt at Destiny's crown. <laughs> Anthem it, coming out in 2020, maybe. <laughs> well, they've, it might come out this year. They've been working on it no, for a while. No, you don't think no so? Way. Oh, no. I think that's they have it set for this year. certainly being delayed until 2019. Yeah. Okay. All right. That bold is, prediction. That my, right I don't there. know if we did the bold prediction of that. That is my <laughs> bold prediction for Anthem. Um, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um, it seems a little late to the party but if they can kind of learn from all the screw-ups of destiny in the division i think that would be helpful it's just the problem is that it's ea and, <laughs> and what, what, yeah and, and what lessons are we going to learn from you know something like battlefronts like is this going to be another loot box focused you know shooter like is that if it arrives like in that state i think that's going to upset a lot of people because when destiny first showed up there were no loot boxes it took a long time to get loot boxes in that game and like the same was for the division so if a new title shows up and it's kind of loot box from day one that's yeah it's not gonna go too well but we have i guess we haven't seen enough from the game yet to fully yeah judge how that's gonna go well they could always um learn from call of duty and release the microtransactions a couple months after launch so that there's no controversy at launch yeah, that is the the sneaky Call of Duty way to do things. Also, make your loot boxes just garbage, so people don't even <laughs> care about them. Also, well, and the Call of Duty plan. You know, the the Call of Duty loot boxes are also interesting because they're similar to Overwatch in that the game is not about loot at all. It, it, the best thing you can get in those boxes are you know jackets and helmets, and you know that doesn't matter at all because you don't play Call of Duty for loot. 
you play right. it to and kill each other. <laughs> the same, same is true for Battlefront. It's just they run into a problem where it, the, the whole progression system was wrapped around in these right. like very powerful upgrades. So if they were selling cosmetics from day one, no one would have cared, I don't right. think. I mean, well, maybe people a couple people, but not, not nearly as much as we did see. So, And then, of course, it does tie back into like you know how quickly you can earn that stuff through gameplay. There's a, there's a fine balance, for sure. Uh, because you should... like. You know, if you're going to charge people a premium for, you know, you're going to charge them for the game and then you're going to also offer loot boxes, you better make it so that people who play a lot can earn them at a, at a nice clip or else people will be upset. I think the thing when it comes down to Destiny is, is just that it's they're charging for the expansions, they're charging for the loot boxes, they're charging for the game. You know, it's there's not like... They're not like some other games that give out free content also. And it's just, it, it all sorts of adds up, including the, you know, the fact that the loot boxes are bad. And I, I can see why people are angry. Well, the pacing has just been so terrible. Because yeah. it was, you know, three months, then a full rotation of, of loot box stock. And then two weeks after that, a loot box-based event with even more loot box <laughs> stuff. And then now, the next event, which is like the, a Valentine's Day event in probably a month, is probably also going to be... <laughs> more loot box stuff and i mean maybe they'll make some big announcement about that soon about how it's not as bad as we think but you can't have every single thing you do in the game just be focused on driving people to buy loot boxes it just it doesn't work and it gets exhausting and people will leave and do something more interesting yeah there was no shortage of competition in this day and age among new and old games so destiny 2 should first and foremost be focused on retaining and building its core player base and you are not going to do that by like wringing you know blood from the stone because <laughs> if you're not going to make money if no one's around to even care enough to buy these things and yeah. like i don't i since maybe since the first week i haven't bought in a single loot box because the whole system is just awful <laughs> and i don't you know i don't like it enough to want to support it in any way whereas you know overwatch sure i'll buy skins during the events but like destiny it's like just ugh, gross <laughs> Yeah, I don't even mess around with the shaders anymore when I play because it's like, well, I'm going to get a new gun in a minute, and then yeah, the whole shader system I just abandoned completely because it yeah, was just like, too frustrating. I'm like, all right, screw it, no more shaders. Yeah, it's <laughs> just constant tinkering with every little upgrade you get because that's the point of the game is you're going to upgrade your, you know, your chest armor or whatever in in 30 minutes, and so then you have to do another shader, and it's like, okay, I, I really miss the t- the days when I could just pick a shader. And then switch well, it. I, yeah, I got to the very end, and then I had like one one outfit and set of guns that I really like for each character, and I'm like, all right, now I will use a shader. <laughs> but yeah. then now I don't want to build a new ensemble because I'm like, oh, I just start all over again. And <laughs> yeah, but it's a, it's a yeah, it, it really makes you not want to kind of experiment and do different builds because between that and the inventory system being just a mess, it's just you're like, I'm just going to keep this armor on forever and not change it because everything else is a disaster. <laughs> So basically, in sum, Destiny 2 is a total mess right now. The fan base is upset, and unless they can pull uh, some sort of rabbit out of their hat this week with a big announcement that fixes everything, we're going to probably have to wait until whatever version of the Taken King we get later on in 2018 or 2019? No, it'll be this no, year. probably late 2018, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, to see if they can actually turn it around. So whether they... I, I mean, I, I, I anticipate the community really falling off for a while before... Or at least between these expansions. Um, well, there, there's going to be another kind of mini or like a smaller DLC in the spring sometime. Yeah. Um, that would be another good chance to, you know, <laughs> practice what you preach and fix things. But we will see. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. 
That's it for this episode of World. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast1. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care. Podcast One has new shows on our new app. Check out all the cool features to help you explore our exciting new programming, like America's Lakers podcast with Jay Moore, Sessions with Randy Jackson, So Random with Corinne Olympios, Attack Each Day, the Harbaugh's podcast, Not Just Sports with Susie Schuster and Rich Eisen, and Sound of Success, the Dick Enberg podcast, as well as your old favorites like The Lady Gang, Steve Austin, Shaquille O'Neal, and Adam Carolla. Get the new Podcast One app in the App Store, Google Play, or PodcastOne.com. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. At the border. I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying. And the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.